Uh, we're in the, this text now that we've transitioned uh, from Jesus making that public entry, and now he's going to be having this personal encounter uh, with a man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. This encounter that he has is an extremely revealing one. It's revealing to Nicodemus, and it's revealing to all of us who are listening here today. It reveals to us the very nature of our salvation and the nature of true faith and the necessity of something extremely important, a spiritual supernatural reality, as opposed to that which we saw last week, a superficial one. There's a, a TV commercial. I'm sure some of you saw it's about the credit card, and it's a Capital One commercial. And a couple's making a purchase in the shopping center when the clerk tells how much it costs. The woman says she's going to pay the bill, and all of a sudden this horde of barbarians begins surging into the store. They run down the store aisles. They're yelling with Weapons drawn toward the couple who's making the credit card purchase. And it's talking about, you know, finances and liable to financial charges and stuff like that. But there's a, there's a quick scene in that commercial that gives us an interesting spiritual metaphor. As the barbarians charge past the store, there's a clerk there and she's trying to spray perfume on them. You remember this part of the commercial? She's trying to... He's trying to spray perfume on these barbarians. She's trying to civilize this horde of bloodthirsty barbarians. She wants to change their nature. She wants to get rid of their foul aroma with a few squirts of perfume. This is a spiritual metaphor for us there. Folks, that is exactly what religiosity or man-made religion, apart from a relationship in Jesus Christ, is like. It's like covering ourselves in a spiritual perfume. Not affecting or changing the barbarian that's inside. When I, before I became a Christian, I was a religious individual. I went to church every day of the week. No, I went to church every week, every Sunday of the week. Actually, during school and in the school that I went to, we had to go to church a couple times during the week. Spraying on some of that perfume. I went to Sunday school classes, spritz, spritz. I even prayed at times, spritz, 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 spritz. I celebrated religious holidays, spritz, 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 spritz. But I never changed. I never changed because I never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. My spiritual senses were non-existent. All that perfume couldn't bring me to life. Because I was dead. 
I was dead in my sins and my trespasses. I didn't need a new smell. I needed a new nature. Folks, all of us here fall into one camp or another. Either we are the ones who are spraying a spiritual perfume on us, covering up the barbarian inside with religious activity, with a superficial knowledge. But all we're doing is spraying that perfume on a dead body. And some of us have been made truly alive and we manifest that change by those activities. We are aroma of life to others. You and I are either dead or alive. We have either been born once or born twice. There is no in-between. The passage that we look at today explains to us the doctrine of regeneration and the absolute necessity of that for each and every single one of us. There are absolutely no exceptions. None. We are either born again or we remain dead in our sins and our trespasses. That is it. And if we are not born again, as Jesus is going to tell us, we're not getting anywhere. Jesus uses some absolutes here. A couple unlesses and a couple musts. We live in a culture that shies away from absolutes. In our secular world and even in the church, we're afraid to say you must. We're afraid to say this is absolutely true. There are no exceptions. Jesus isn't afraid of that. And he makes it very clear in this passage because this passage What Jesus is going to tell us is a matter of life and death. I see three stages that we're going to look at in this passage today, kind of breaking down this conversation that he has with Nicodemus. So the first stage is the expectation, verses 1 through 3. So John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless... One is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Kind of want us to see what John's doing here. He just talked about many people, and he talked about the heart of man, and Jesus understanding the heart of man, and what is in the heart of man. And now he introduces to us one of those men. He says, there was a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes out of this crowd, I believe, of this many people, and he comes and he visits Jesus at night. So from here on out, we're going to call him Nick at night. And I think that's the main reason that John put that in there, so that in 2021, we had a little catchy phrase like that. But it's really interesting. So I want us to see a few things here. I think Nicodemus is pretty sincere, but what he is doing is he kind of wants to figure Jesus out. 
and he comes in a very kind of presumptuous way. What does he say? We know, we know certain things about you. We know that you must be a teacher. So now we see that the faith that he has in Jesus Christ is a superficial one. It's not a saving faith. And he is revealing to Jesus that he thinks he knows something about him. It's kind of funny because Jesus is actually going to flip on its head what he says about unless, and then he goes into his own unless for Nicodemus. But I think Nicodemus is sincere here, and I think what we do see is that there's the possibility of those who begin with a superficial faith, those who look at Jesus Christ and just see those works that he's doing. So remember, all those people are all excited. They're like, oh, there's Jesus. He's entertaining us. He's doing these wonderful things. But Nicodemus kind of comes out of that crowd and here he visits Jesus and he visits Jesus at night. A couple of possibilities of why he's visiting Jesus at night. It could be that he's afraid of what the other religious leaders are going to think about that. So he comes to Jesus in this secret fashion so that no one kind of knows he's asking some more questions about Jesus. Uh, But also, I think there's an allusion there to his spiritual state. I think John kind of lets us know this, kind of puts, make sure he puts that in there to let us know that Nicodemus is in the dark and he's coming to the light. So there's hope for Nicodemus because he's having this conversation with Jesus Christ. And he is the only one who can shed light on his situation. During a tourist bus, bus excursion, to a volcanic canyon in Iceland, there was a woman who was reported missing when she failed to return to the bus. The bus driver waited an hour before notifying the Icelandic police. Soon after, there was a, soon after the missing persons report, search and rescue teams and a helicopter even arrived at the scene to search for the missing woman. There was about 50 people who participated in the search on vehicles and some by foot. But the search was called off in 12 hours when it discovered, they discovered that the woman wasn't really missing at all. As a matter of fact, what had happened, she got lost for a little bit, but then went somewhere and changed her clothes and then made it back onto the bus. And actually, she participated in the search party. And then she realized when she saw the description, and she didn't know she was missing. Sounds like something I would do. I want us to see something here that I want to pull out about Nicodemus. Nicodemus isn't some Joe Schmo off the street, is he? Nicodemus is a religious leader. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus immersed himself in God's word. Nicodemus was supposed to teach other people about God. Nicodemus was supposed to lead other people to God, but he is just as lost as everybody else and he doesn't know it. That is the danger sometimes behind religion and religiosity. We think we know and sometimes we're leading other people but we have not had that saving experience with Jesus Christ. Jesus goes straight for Nicodemus' heart here. We see that knowledge of God's kingdom does not mean that we are part of it. 
And he reveals this truth to our religious friend. Jesus gives an absolute. He begins with truly, truly. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you. Jesus uses this phrase three times in the Gospel of John. Do you know where? Right here. Right here in this conversation with Nicodemus. So what Jesus is saying is a couple things. What I'm about to say to you is very, very important. I want you to listen up. Second, what I'm about to say to you is absolutely true. And what I'm about to say to you, I have the authority to say it. And what does he say? He says, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. If you want to experience God's kingdom. It is an absolute necessity for all of those who wish to partake in the kingdom of God. Is that we are born spiritually. We are born from above. That we are transformed by God so that we can experience his kingdom. And the kingdom of God begins here and now in the hearts of men and is consummated and is participated in later on in the future. He uses this term for see, but it's similar to the one that he is going to use later on that you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot participate or experience unless you are born again. Did you know that every animal on earth has a set of, sorry if I'm putting a snake up here. I don't know how many people like snakes. I know I had to warn my wife about me putting a little pit viper up there. But everyone, every animal on earth has a set of correspondences with the environment around it. And and only, humans can only perceive only about 30% of the range of the sun's light and about 170th of the spectrum of electromagnetic energy. Many animals exceed our abilities. Bats detect insects by sonar. Pigeons navigate by magnetic fields. Bloodhounds perceive a world of smell unavailable to us. Did you know that some pit vipers or some vipers and boas detect the heat of their prey thanks to specialized organs in their facial pits. The direction of the source is given by the part of the pit that perceives the heat and the presence of the pits. Did you know that the bees, they have these electro kind of magnetic rings around their abdomen, and that's how they sense the direction of their hive. So if you've ever wondered how can a bee find its way back to its hive, it kind of has this compass inside of them. The guy says this, perhaps the spiritual or unseen world requires an inbuilt set of correspondences activated only through a spiritual quickening. Jesus says here, no one conceive or perceive or experience the kingdom of God without being what? Born from above. Later on, Paul is going to say the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Both expressions point to a different level of correspondence available only to a person that is spiritually alive. Two people in this world. Those who perceive and understand, those who have been born again, and those who are not. 
John Piper says the new birth is not getting a new religion, but it is getting a new life. We must be born from above. We need a transformation. It is an absolute necessity for us to partake in the kingdom of God. You and I are born into this world, and we therefore must be born into that world as well. And our friend Nicodemus just doesn't understand it. Nicodemus continues to think along natural lines, which brings us to the next stage of this conversation, the explanation, verses 4 through 8. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. A bunch of children were asked some questions. I love those shows that, you know, kids say the darndest things and stuff like that. And a bunch of kids were asked some questions about uh, spiritual things, the Old and New Testament questions more specifically. Here are the following answers that kids have given to some of these questions. Did you know that Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree? Did you know that Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc? Noah built an ark which the animals came onto in pairs, P-E-A-R-S. Lot's wife, well, she was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire at night. Samson slayed the Philistines with the axe, A-X-E, of the apostles. Did you know that the Egyptians were all drowned in the dessert? I think, I think it was a watery pudding. Afterwards, Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Amendments. He died before he ever reached Canada. Don't worry, Moses, you're not missing much. Then, sorry, that's a poor shot on Canada. Oh, Canada. Do you know then Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho? I, I hope they took their vitamins. The greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stand still and he obeyed him. That actually is a miracle. It has not been repeated since. Solomon, one of David's sons, had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. Ouch. Mary heard she was the mother of Jesus. She sang the Magna Carta. Of course, she did so in a British accent. Jesus enunciated the golden rule, which says, do one to others before they do one to you. That's right, you want to get them first. He also says, man does not, does not live by sweat alone. Christians have only one spouse. This is called monotony. Kids have a hard time grasping spiritual truths and have a hard time remembering things of the Bible, don't they? If it's hard for children, how much harder is it for people who are not even born? 
like our friend Nicodemus here. Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is talking about. He's clueless, and he actually kind of proves Jesus' point. I'm sorry, what, what did you just say? And I don't know if he's being sarcastic here, or he, he truly is thinking, like, this is impossible. What, what, he, he is, that's exactly what he's saying, basically. This, this is an impossibility. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean I have to be born again or I have to be born from above? He's, he's dumbfounded. Why? He's, he's not alive. He doesn't understand. He doesn't grasp this significance. You know, throughout the Gospel of John, it's really, really funny to watch. And we were all in this boat, and sometimes we still are. God's Spirit... God's Holy Spirit is the only one who can illuminate spiritual truths to us. And throughout the Gospel of John, people's responses are always along some sort of natural line. Later on, Jesus is going to say to the woman at the well, hey, I'm the living water. And she's like, can you give me this water so I don't have to come to this well and drink every day? And then even his disciples, when Jesus says, I have food you don't know about, they're like, who brought him takeout? Because we're spiritually numb. Why do I, why do you and I who, ha, who are here today can understand spiritual truths? Is it because that we're smarter than other people? No. It's because of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Yeah, it's because of the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit talking right there. Because of the Holy Spirit, that's the only reason why. And the, the part of the Spirit's job is to enlighten us, and we can see that poor Nicodemus is missing out on this. We have a spiritual teacher who teaches us and leads us and guides us. And it is part of what happens when you and I are born again. But even the phrase in the next couple verses that Jesus says here is still kind of really disagreed upon by commentators. So this kind of proves the point that uh, you and I only see in part because a lot of people have a lot of answers to what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus answers Nicodemus's question, how? how? How is it possible for someone to be born again? And Jesus is going to point to him the truth. And his basic principle here is, that which is born of flesh produces flesh. And therefore, the same goes for the spiritual world. The spirit gives birth to that which is spiritual. Like produces like. And his argument here, he's not talking about the flesh in a negative sense. This is just the natural sense. Flesh produces flesh, therefore spirit produces spirit. And he expands on this understanding of being born again. What does it mean to be born again? And he kind of breaks it out now into two things. You must be born of water and spirit. I want to cover, because there's a lot of discussion about what, it, what does it mean to be born of water and spirit? What is Jesus actually talking about here? Two things that I don't think he's saying. So the first thing, just really, really quick, is people think that he's talking about that you have to be born of a woman and the water is kind of representative of the amniotic fluid, you know, in the, in the baby's belly. I don't think Nicodemus is that dumb. I think, that, I think we need to understand that if, 
if we're going to inherit eternal life, we probably have to exist in the first place, right? Does everyone agree with that? So I don't think he is talking about being born of a woman and then being born of the Spirit so that you have to have flesh. There's a possibility I could be wrong with that, but I don't think Jesus is, is referring to that. The second one that I don't think Jesus is saying here is I don't think that Jesus is referring to the water as the water of baptism. And this, is, this can get really, really dangerous because there are churches out there that actually teach what we call baptismal regeneration. And what this means is that you need to be physically baptized in order to be regenerated. That, that is like the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying man can't produce this regeneration. Man can't produce this spiritual nature that is needed to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible. As a matter of fact, Jesus is trying to get us away from what? The works of the flesh. The works of the flesh can't produce a spiritual result with regards to salvation and conversion. People who teach this, I think, is, are really contradicting Jesus' main point. Jesus' main point is, guess what? Man can't do this. God needs to. This is a work of God. This isn't a work of man. And this needs to happen in order for us to participate or enter into his kingdom. So what, what do I think Jesus is referring to? So there are really two passages. And this is why I think later on Jesus says to Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. He's kind of giving a little shot at Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, because these things are spoken of in the Old Testament. I think that he is referring to two passages, Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37, but I just highlighted Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Listen to what he says here in this passage. This is God speaking. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and have you move to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And then after that, in the valley of the bones, God is talking to Ezekiel and commands him to do what? Prophesy, and he commands the four winds to come and to breathe life into those bones. What's the main word in this Ezekiel passage? It's I. Whose work is this? This is God's work. The water is the cleansing from our filth. The water is the forgiveness of our sins. And being born of the Spirit is receiving His Spirit, but having our spirits come alive because of what He has done in us. Listen to what happens to a man when they are born again. We're cleansed from all of our impurities. 
God takes us from serving ourselves, from serving the idols of this world, and he puts us in his service. He puts us serving him. He focuses our attention on him. He takes our heart of stone. He takes that heart of rebellion and he softens that. And he gives us a love for him, a love for his people and a love for his kingdom. He revives our spirit. He makes our spirit alive and he puts his spirit inside of us. For, folks, this is a radical transformation. This is what happens when someone is born again. We often associate that phrase with just a bunch of religious fanatics and the works that they do. It's not about the works that they do. It's about the work that God has done and taken an individual that was headed in the direction of hell and has completely changed him, changed his nature and put him on a different direction to reflect Jesus Christ and to speak and preach of his kingdom and his kingdom alone. This is, this is radical. And I think what is happening in our churches is we have lost this doctrine. And Paul Washer, I think, sums it up very, very clearly. He says, in modern day evangelism, this precious doctrine of regeneration has been reduced to nothing more than a human decision to raise one's hand, walk down an aisle, and pray a sinner's prayer. As a result, the majority of Americans believe that they've been born again, even though their thoughts, their words, and their deeds are a continual contradiction to the nature and will of God. We're preaching a gospel of emotionalism. We're preaching a, a gospel of feelings. We're preaching a gospel that's a worldly gospel. People are raising their hands and walking out the door and they still look like this world. If this is what happens in an individual, what should the result in our life be? Different. People should be saying, what on earth happened to you? What, what's the matter with you? Jesus refers to the wind in referencing the work of the Spirit. We don't know where it's happening, when it's going to happen, and who it's going to happen to. It could be happening right now. No idea. But what do we know about the wind? What do we see about the wind? We see its effects. I've said this before, I'm not, I'm not the person who I want to be, but I am definitely not the man that I used to be. Why? Because of this. I was an individual who loved one person, myself. An individual that thought nothing of God's kingdom, thought nothing of other people, cared only about Worldly pleasures. What happened? This happened. God's grace transformed me. It's the only explanation for it. 
when people are born again, there is a radical transformation because we no longer live for this kingdom. We live for his kingdom. We care less about this kingdom. We want to take the people from this kingdom and transfer them into that kingdom. We come alive. Conversion is not me going to church. It's me becoming the church. It's not me going to temple. It's me becoming God's temple. It's not me trying to change my heart. It's God giving me a new one. It's not me trying to change my life. It's God's spirit bringing me to life. If this is what it is, then what should the results in our life be? It should be a radical change. New creation, new nature, and this life is only made possible because of the person that Nicodemus is talking to. Brings us to our third and final stage, the exaltation verses 9 through 15. Nicodemus said to him, so he asks him another question. So before it was how is the new birth happen? And this is how can this be achieved or how can these things be? Jesus answers and says to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. I told you earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. When you first walk into Long Creek, anyone been to Long Creek besides Brian? Anyone? You've been, my daughter's been to, my daughter's been to Long Creek? Not for that reason though, right? You first walk into Long Creek through the outside doors, there's a foyer with a speaker. You push a little button and they have to let you into the lobby. After that, you must be searched and scanned uh, by one of the guards that is on duty there. And then you get to another set of locked doors. You push a button to where you will go to another set of locked doors. Then followed by, yes, you guessed it, another set of locked doors. At this point, you have entered the building and you have three ways you can go. I don't even know if I should be mapping this out for people, but you'll probably forget anyway. You're not going to help anyone escape. So then you have three ways you could go. You could turn left and go down the hall where there's a bunch of units. You could go straight and walk downstairs and then there's a ton of units. And then you can go to the right, which will then bring you into the gym. But you have to go through locked doors to get to the gym. I can tell you how many rooms are in each unit. I can tell you how the unit is laid out. I can tell you what's in the rooms. I could tell you at one point, I could have told you how approximately how long it takes to run from one end of the hallway to the other. I can also tell you that if you exit the door when you are running to an emergency and if that floor that you step on is wet, I'll tell you that your body will go parallel to that floor. Yeah, like that. And land on your hip 
and it will really, really hurt. And the kids and the guards who are watching you do this are going to laugh. I can tell you that at one point, I was able to let you through those, all those locked doors because I was in control. Literally, that's what the place was called. It's called control. So I can open all of those doors. How come I can tell you those things? Why can I share that information with you? Why can I tell you anything you want to know about Long Creek? What a day in Long Creek is like? It's because I've been there. I've experienced that. I know because of my experience. I know because of who I am. I know because I was there. Nicodemus hasn't been to Long Creek. Not that I'm aware of. Nor has Nicodemus been where? To heaven. Who's been to heaven? Jesus has. I think this is really, really funny here. I, I think, let me say Jesus is being snarky with Nicodemus, but I think he's kind of doing a little bit of this because he's like, oh, you know? You, you know about me? You guys know some stuff? Because Nicodemus is like, hey, we know. We know. We know, you, you know God's with you. We know you're a teacher. And Jesus is like, hey, I got some stuff I know too. I got some things I can share with you. Why do, why do I know? Well, I'm God. Because I am the only one who can reveal to you the nature of salvation, the nature of the kingdom of God, what is a necessity in the kingdom of heaven, because that is exactly where I am from. Folks, one of the first aspects that we need to see here is you and I will not understand a thing apart from the illumination of the Holy Spirit, but also the special revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We won't have a clue. Jesus knows because he's been there. Jesus knows because he is the only one who has come down from heaven. No one has gone up to heaven and spent time hanging out in heaven. Well, Paul was transported there, but he gives us special revelation later on, right? But no one's spent time and now come down except for Jesus Christ. I love what he says to Nick at night here. He's like, oh, you think you know some things? I got some things that I know too. We need to listen to him. Everything that we need to know about God, heaven, salvation, God has revealed to us through special revelation specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. It always comes back to Jesus Christ. You want to know about God? Look at Jesus. Remember what John said earlier? He's the only one who can disclose him. That's because he is God in the flesh. Later on, he's going to say, God the Father is going to say to his disciples, this is my beloved son, you need to what? Listen to him. He knows exactly what he's talking about. Jesus is the sole authority on heaven, hell, and everything in between. And Jesus is the only one who makes the possibility, who, who makes the new birth a possibility what he says to Nick at night here, what Nick at night thought was impossible or inconceivable, the new birth is now made possible. You and I can be born from above because Jesus came down. 
and what he did here while on earth opens up that possibility. As a matter of fact, there is a necessity. There's a necessity of the new birth, but there is also a necessity to make the new birth possible, and that is the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that that can happen. There's another must in here, isn't there? The Son of Man must be lifted up. The Son of Man must be crucified for our sins. He refers here to the story of the serpent in the wilderness. This is in the book of Numbers, and what happens is that God's judgment comes upon them in the form of poisonous snakes. So snakes, again, I don't know why we're on the snake theme, but we are this, this sermon. And they begin to die because they're being bitten by the snake. And then God instructs Moses to craft this image, this bronze staff and a bronze serpent, but it is in the very image of the thing that is killing them. And that which was a fear for them, that which was appalling to them, now became an object for which they can look at in faith and be saved. What was repulsive and deadly has now become a source of life. Folks, if we see anything here, as I said before, we must see the absolute necessity of the cross of Jesus Christ. You and I will never live unless he dies. There is no other way that we are cleansed from that filth apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It just is not happening. There is no other way that you and I can see or enter into the kingdom of heaven apart from what he is saying right here. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And I think he's specifically referring to the crucifixion, but it is including the entire passion, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Because later on, he's going to say the Son of Man must be lifted up for when he is, I will do what? I will draw all men unto myself. And it is because he died and is buried and rose again that he's able to pour out his spirit on mankind. It's a good thing that he goes, he says, so that he gives them the Holy Spirit. And on that cross, in that lifting up, we see the terribleness of sin. The filth of our souls. But we also see what? What we're going to talk about in the next passage. We see the love of God. We see the grace of God. We see his mercy. He gave us a way out. Way out of his wrath. And the object, the cross, which was a horrendous object of torture and death, which is one that is used to strike fear into the hearts of 
the men of that day, has now been changed into what? An object of hope. An object of life. And an object of joy. Amazing. This is a sculpture of what Jesus is saying here. To combine the cross and the serpent overlooks Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Conversation that he has with a teacher of Israel. Now there's a constant reminder of the only hope that they have. The only hope that they have and the only hope that we have. Folks, God can't wink at sin. There is nothing that can take away the guilt and the punishment of our sin except the human sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's an absolute necessity. Sin incurs God's wrath and Jesus took that wrath on his body. There is no other gospel. There is no other way that we can enter into heaven. We must look to the lifted Son of Man in order to see the kingdom of God, in order to experience the kingdom of God. This is what one commentator says is the frankest answer to Nick's question. How can this be? The new birth is experienced. The kingdom entered through the saving work of Christ that is received by faith. Why must the Son of Man be lifted up so that those who look upon him, those who grasp that action by faith, those who put their trust in that work can do what? Have eternal life. Eternal life is synonymous with the kingdom of God. You want to see the kingdom of heaven? Look to the Son of Man. Look to what Christ has done for you. Take that by faith and I promise you, you'll be born again. Notice here, he doesn't go into the, the, the must of being born again. That's we, I can't do that. Can you do that? What's the must for us? The must is you must look to him. That's the promise. We have no control over that. We know it has to happen. We know our eyes need to be open. We know we need to be re regenerated. He says, look, look to me, believe in me, and you'll have eternal life. You'll see that kingdom. You'll walk through those gates and you'll be what? Born again. That's the absolute for you and me. There's a renowned child psychiatrist, or yeah, psychiatrist, Robert Coles. He told this story in a graduate class at Harvard University many years ago. He said a highly regarded uh, colleague of his recently told me in despair, he said this, I've been doing therapy with a man for 15 years. That's a, the guy's got some dedication. I don't know if I could do it that long. He said he is as angry, as self-centered, and as mean as he was the first day that he walked into 
my office. He said the only difference is that now he knows why he's so angry and mean. He points out that although he provided his client with insight on his dysfunction, the man still hasn't changed. He asks this question, could we conclude that what this man needed wasn't just information, but transformation? And then he asks this one, but is such transformation possible for human beings? I don't think so. Perfume doesn't change us. I can't change myself. Who can? Jesus Christ can. Look to him and you will be saved. You and I can go up to heaven because he came down. You and I can be born from above because he was lifted up. You and I can experience the new birth because he died. Father, only you are capable of such change. It's not possible for us. But Lord, you have commanded us to look to Christ for that salvation. Lord, and I pray if there is any here today that does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, has not experienced that change, that they do so right now. You know their hearts. You know their minds. You know their souls. Lord, we thank you that you made this possible, the impossible possible, because of the brutal death of your Son. Help us to live out that change. Help us to live like we live in your kingdom here and now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.